Are you ready for week two of Money Talks? Well, I'll take those six hand claps in the corner. I addressed the elephant in the room last week in the series and said that, you know, when you start talking about money in church, people start acting funny. Start acting funny because of the history of some churches that have not had financial integrity and have not done a good job in talking about God and money. But I told you, I got to talk about what Jesus talked about and he talked about money. And because God talks, how many of you know money talks? And here's why it's also hard to talk about money. It's also hard because nobody thinks they're greedy and everybody thinks they're generous. Have you noticed? I told you last week, I've never in all my years of pastoring had anybody come up to me and say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. What? <gasps> I'm greedy. <laughs> no, nobody ever says that. And then everybody thinks they're generous. I had some person that told me, he's like, yo, I'm super generous, dog. Like, I always tip. <laughs> Homie, you're supposed to tip. That's not <laughs> generosity. And so it's in that tension that we jump into this series today. But the true heart of this series is what God is after. He's after our hearts. And because money has the ability to capture our hearts, God says, I got to address it because I want your heart. I want you to live a life of generosity and store up treasures, not on earth and things that are temporary, but store up treasures in heaven that will have eternal value. Amen. Come on. So we're going to jump into this today. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I got a feeling you're going to like it. I preached it to myself before I came here and in the first service and responded to my own altar call. So it's going to be good. Go to Matthew 25 today. Matthew 25. This is story time with Jesus. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 25. And I want to look at verses 14 through 30. How y'all doing in the back, 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 back? How y'all doing back there? Good to see you. Good to see you. Matthew 25. Starting at verse number 14. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you got a paper Bible and you're trying to find it, say, give me some time. Paper Bible saved. I love it. If your Bible is glowing, let me see it. Come on. If you're just going to look at the screen, give me a wave. Beautiful. Y'all my people. Y'all my people. <laughs> That's what it's there for. Come on. Matthew 25, start at verse number 14. This is Jesus talking, and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Yo, Lord, you delivered to me five talents? Look at your boy. I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, something that all of us are living our entire lives to hear. He said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who had also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, see what had happened was, have you ever noticed that people that have the most excuses have the longest explanations? This dude about to take up all the scripture, about four or five verses, because he didn't get it done and put action to the gift that was given to him. Look at how much scripture a homeboy about to waste with all his excuses for why he didn't do anything with what was given to him. He said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? 
So you have deposited my money with the bankers at my coming and I would have received my own back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you say amen? amen. Ooh, I want to preach today, not long, probably about three and a half hours, just using this as a title, Hidden Potential. Hidden Potential. I need you to help me preach today because your energy level, you know, you got to get it up a little bit. Look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say, neighbor. Some of y'all act like I can't see you. You know I can see you. You are not invisible. <laughs> Look at your neighbor <laughs> and say, neighbor, I hope you know this. You got hidden potential. And just in case that neighbor was stuck up and bougie, find another neighbor, find another neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor. I'm telling you, you got hidden potential. If you believe God's going to speak today, would you give him some praise in here? Woo. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. It's going to be a long prayer. Bear with me. God, you're awesome. Speak to us today. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hidden potential. Social fam, I want to play a quick little game, if we can, of guess who this kid turned out to be. Can we play that real quick? Is that cool? I'm gonna put a picture on the screen and I want you to guess who this kid turned out to be. Yeah, anybody got a guess? Huh? Huh? If you don't know, it's Blue's Clue on my shirt. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that is none other than Michael Jeffrey Jordan. 15 season playing, six time NBA championship winner. Six-time MVP, Michael Jordan. There's no debate. He is the greatest player to ever play the game of basketball. Here's how you know that his greatness is transcendent. His greatness is transcendent because his name became synonymous with greatness. There's no other person that you use their name to talk about a field and say, hey, that's the Michael Jordan of this. That's the Michael Jordan of that. He, whoo, is awesome. I've been a fan for a long time. I'll never forget the first pair of J's my dad bought me when I was 16 years old. I bought every Jordan jersey that came out, even the 45 Jordan jersey. I think I got a picture of it when I was at a little bougie private school party. <laughs> Breakdancing in the 45 Michael Jordan jersey. I've been a fan for a long time of MJ. I want to play another game of guess who this kid became. Anybody know who this kid is? Anybody? This is the legendary Lynn Bias. 2003 Duke coach Mike Krakowski was quoted saying, during my 24 years as a coach, the two most dominant players we've ever faced were Michael Jordan and Lynn Bias. Bias was a basketball star for the University of Maryland and the boy was bad to the bone. He was an All-American, 6'8", 220 pounds of pure muscle. He was fast, he was explosive. He would take off and dunk on people like he was jumping from a trampoline. And everyone was sure that not if, but when he got to the NBA, Michael Jordan was gonna meet his match. He was selected as the second overall pick in the 1986 NBA draft by the Boston Celtics, where he was gonna play alongside Larry Bird. Right after signing and being drafted by the Boston Celtics, he went on to sign a $1.6 million deal with Reeboks, who wanted him to do for them what Jordan did for Nike. But unfortunately, that would never happen. Because on June 19, 1986, two days after he was drafted, and a few months before, he was due to step on the court and play basketball. A 911 operator received a call that Lynn Bias had passed out 
from a cocaine-induced seizure and was unconscious. Doctors did their best to resuscitate him, but nothing worked. And four days after his death, 11,000 people gathered at Lynn's funeral, and they all wondered what many sports analysts still wonder now. What could he have been? What if Lynn would have played in the league? The only thing that is certain is that Lynn Bias was one of, if not, the most talented basketball players ever not to play in the NBA. Ladies and gentlemen, the difference between the legacy of Michael Jordan and the tragedy of Lynn Bias really rests upon one word, potential, potential. The fact that people still stand in line anytime Jordan drops a sneaker today is proof positive that he maximized his potential. And the thing that still looms over the grave of bias is what if? What could he have been? I want to talk to you today not just about potential, but about hidden potential. And I told the team to make sure they put that word in the biggest font they could find and keep it on the screen for a long time because I want that word ingrained on your mind and in your imagination, the power of potential. Potential is powerful. Potential will push you into your destiny. Anything that God created for a purpose actually has within that purpose potential that you will never know until you actually take the risk to do all that God has called you to do and be all that God has called you to be. Potential is transformative. Potential is untapped power. It is unseen strength. It is power that is dormant in every single one of us. I'm wondering, have you done everything to maximize your potential? I love what Dr. Miles Monroe said. He says, the wealthiest place on earth is the cemetery because buried in the cemetery are books that were never written. Buried in the cemetery are dreams that never became a reality. Buried in the cemetery is music that we never got to hear because the person never took the time to maximize their Potential. Did you know you have potential? I need you to help me preach again. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and just say, you got potential. No, no tell them like they need to hear it. Say, you got potential. Mm. Now, now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting about that phrase. When somebody says you have potential, depending on the season of your life that they say it or the vocal intonation with which they say it, that can either be a compliment or a low-key insult. I mean, come on, come on. Like, like if it's me and I take my little Remy to piano practice and she starts doing some little licks on the piano and the piano teacher comes to me and says, oh, she's got potential. She's five. You know what I'm doing? I'm about to buy me a beautiful baby grand piano. I'm like, yo, we raising Mozart over here. They said my baby got potential. However, ladies, if one of your girlfriends goes to check out a guy for you to see if he's all right, and she goes and looks at him and you haven't seen him yet, and then she comes to you and says, girl, well, <laughs> he got potential. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be clearing your calendar to go out with him. <laughs> so, so it kind of depends. It kind of depends who's saying it, what season of life you're hearing it. But I came to tell you today that I have learned that humanity is not the greatest gauge for finding out what potential is. I found out that people that give you their opinion and it has nothing to do with the God-given potential that is on the inside of you. Oh, I don't know who this message is for already, but stop looking for other people to tell you what your potential is. Start seeking God for your potential because your opinion doesn't stop my potential. I was talking to somebody the other day. I, it was somebody the other day I was talking to him, a powerful person. I'll never forget uh, this person was telling me their story, their story of how they uh, went to piano practice. They went to piano practice, and their first piano practice, the piano teacher said, you've got small hands. Just your hands are too small to play the piano. That person, guess what, went on to win five Grammys. They go to this church. Guess who it is? You're looking at them right now. Five grand. No, I'm playing. It was Chandler. It was Chandler. <laughs> but come on, you're part of this church. Your Grammy is my Grammy. So that's my Grammy too. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? A piano teacher would tell you, hey, your hands are too small to play the piano. Fast forward, Jaira. You are enough. You don't know your potential. 
but you don't have a clue what God would do in you and through you because God hides potential in people. Maybe that's why when we got ready to create humanity, he did not get a pile of diamonds or a pile of gold or rubies, but he got dirt because dirt is the only environment that you can place a seed in it. And once you place that seed in the dirt, if you'll give it some time, if you'll water it, if you'll fertilize it, meaning you got to go through some stuff, if you can go through it a while, you'll see that thing grow and become something. God is a God of potential. Maybe that's why he took 12 dysfunctional, crazy, moronic dudes and said, I'm going to use all y'all to turn the world upside down. Not because you're perfect, not because you have all the cognitive aptitude that you need, but I'm convinced that what's in you, I've got the power to pull it out of you. And God said, if you'll seek me, you'll find out what your potential is. It's on the canvas of these 12 men in a conversation actually about potential that we get this story from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. How many know Jesus could tell some stories? Ooh, he could tell some good stories. And this is a story in Matthew chapter 25 that's actually Jesus' response to a question that his disciples asked him in Matthew chapter 24. Read it when you get to the crib. This is classic Jesus. They asked him, how will we know you coming back? What's the sign? And instead of just giving him a straight answer, he goes on for two chapters telling stories. That is classic Jesus. <laughs> he don't give you a straight answer. He's just going to tell you a story. And he tells three different stories. A story about ten virgins. A story about sheep and goats. And then he tells a story about a master who had three servants. Now, anytime you read a story from Jesus, there are three critical things that you have to look at if you're going to listen to the story. Three things you got to ask yourself in every Jesus story. Question number one. What is the context of the story? Question number two, who are the characters in the story? In other words, who are you in the story? Question number three, what is the crazy in the story? Because his kingdom is upside down. It does not make sense to the system of our world. So he always has some crazy thing in his story. Can I take my time today? Like Luke chapter 15, read it when you get to the crib. You know the story of the prodigal sons, the story of the prodigal sons? First thing you got to understand when you get to that story is the context of the story. The reason he tells the story of the prodigal sons, not the prodigal son, it was two boys. The reason he tells that story is because he's hanging out with some ratchet people, some jacked up people. And the religious Pharisees come up and they ask Jesus, why are you hanging out with these ratchet people? And Jesus responds to the religious while he's hanging out with the ratchet is this story. So no wonder he tells a story with the father that had two sons because one son was ratchet and one son was self-righteous. And he tells the story about how the ratchet son went off, took his father's inheritance, spent it all on prostitutes and gambling and partying and lost it all. The self-righteous son said, I'm just going to make the father happy by my performance and stayed home. And here comes the crazy. After the boy spent all his daddy's money, after he messed up, after he went to Vegas and got wasted, here he is. He comes back to the father's house thinking, I can't be a son. I can only be a servant. He was expecting the father to smack him upside the head. But here comes the father running after this boy and saying, I've been waiting for the day that you would come back. He couldn't even get his speech out. And the father said, get the DJ. Bring the fatty cat. We're having filet mignon tonight. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on this boy. How do you get a party when you just jacked up? Because that's the grace of God that even after you messed up, you got a father that seeks after you. Ooh. Oh, what kind of grace is this that throws a party for you after you jacked up? He said, don't even wait to give him a bath. Put that Versace robe on him real quick. And tell the DJ, turn it up. The father went to him. And he also went to the self-righteous son who thought that his performance and his church attendance and his Bible reading plan was going to earn him love. And he went to him too. It's the power of the story. So in this story, we got a master who's about to go off on a trip. And he calls his servants to him. Huh, what's the context? Jesus is about to leave earth. He's about to transition from doing miracles for his disciples to pulling out their potential and doing miracles through them. So no wonder he tells a story about a master who's about to go off on a trip. Because how many know he was about to go off on a trip? He's still gone. <laughs> so that's the context of the story. Who are the characters? Well, we only got two categories of people in the story. We got master 
and servants. One master, three servants. Class, who is the master and who are the servants? Look at you, you good, proud Sunday school alumnus. Jesus. Of course he's the master. Where are the servants? It's easy to say with your lips. More difficult to say with your life. Even more difficult to say with your money. It is so easy to mentally assent to the fact he's the master, I'm just a servant. But in your actual practice, in your life, many of us act like he is our servant and we are the master. And so we are secretly frustrated with God. Why? Because we have told him our dreams. We have told him our aspirations. And because he didn't co-sign on our dream and it hadn't come to pass, now we're mad and we think that God has not been faithful. Am I the only one that has ever written a script for my life and asked God just to be the executive producer? And then when he doesn't produce the script, I got an attitude. And I love those seasons of life because he's trying to let me know, never invert the story. There's only one master in this story. I I am the master, Woo, you are the servant. And if you don't get that part of the story, you're gonna be lost the entire story because this gospel is not God following us, it's actually us following him and he might lead you somewhere you don't wanna go. He might ask something of you that you don't want to give. So the thing you have to understand at the basis of this story is that he is the master and that we are the servants. Here's the mindset of the master. The mindset of the master is this. What did he do? He called his servants to him and entrusted his goods to them. Here's the mindset of the master. I own it all. Yeah. It's all mine. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Your God owns everything. That's the mindset of the master. What should be the mindset of the servant? I'll tell you the mindset of the servant. It's my first point. It's a simple point, and it's only three words. All these points today are simple, and they only got three words. You ready? Here's point number one. This is the mindset of good stewardship. This is the mindset of every master. Here it is. You own nothing. You own nothing. I'm going to say it one more time in the Amplified version. You own not, if you don't understand this premise of life, faith will never work for you, and you will never allow God to properly do what he wants to do through your finances and through what he has put in your hand. Is that you are not the owner of anything. How many know you are the manager and the steward of everything, but there is absolutely nothing that you own. This has to be ingrained in your mindset if you're going to be a good steward of not just the money, but the talents, the gifts, every single thing God has given you. How many know you are not the owner? Don't get a twist. I know it's in your bank account, but that's not your money. I know you got the degree, but that is not your degree. I know your name is on the deed, but that is not your house. That is not your car. I want everybody to say it with me. Say, I, I own, own nothing. That really has to get in your head, but because we have things and we've acquired some things, the mindset that we have is that we own something, but you are a manager at best. We just manage it. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. That means every good thing in my life came from God and is for God. Every good thing in your life came from God and is for God. Every good thing in your life. The fact that you walked in here today, that's the goodness of God. The fact that you had some food to eat last night, that is the goodness of God. The fact you're going to go eat after this service, that's the goodness of God. The fact that you could give that little cute golf clap you got, that is the goodness of God. The fact that there's breath in your body, that is the goodness of God. The fact that he woke you up today, that is the goodness of God. The fact that you even have a dollar in that bank account, that is the goodness of God. The fact that you're on unemployment, that is the goodness of God. Those kids you got is the goodness of God. Your spouse is the goodness of God. The fact you can see in color is the goodness. I wish I had some praisers that would take like a 10-second praise break and just thank him for every good and perfect gift. Some of y'all can't praise because you think it's you, but there's some of us in here that know that every good thing in my life, oh, it didn't come for me. I know where I should be. I know where I could be, but thanks be unto God. Woo! 
for his goodness. It makes no sense. My kids, oh, that's the goodness of God. Have you seen my kids? My wife, she fine, can pray. Holds me down. That, that's the goodness of God. Everything in your life is the goodness of God. I don't even need Bible to prove that you don't own anything. Life will teach you that. You think all your stuff is your stuff? Okay, I dare you to die. Your stuff will be on eBay next week. People be fighting over everything in your closet. You think it's yours? Think that job is yours? Let them call you in tomorrow. I'm so sorry, we're downsizing. No, you like to work at home where you can work there permanently. Let you think the health is yours? Get a bad doctor's report. Think the house is yours? Let a natural disaster tear that thing down. Whew. Somebody said, well, I'll just build another one. Well, if you're going to build another one, you're going to need some wood. And guess who made the wood? <laughs> Everything in your life is the goodness of God. If you don't start with that understanding that it's not mine to begin with, greed will always find a place in your heart. Entitlement will always find a place in your heart. It's not my, I get to steward. Oh, I want to pause right there and thank God I don't have to be the owner. I get to steward it. There's a beauty to stewardship. I didn't say this first service. Babe, remember, remember uh, a few years ago when we went to that, a pastor friend of ours had a party uh, in, in Miami, a Holy Ghost party. Uh, <laughs> I know some of y'all went to Miami. You just went, Uncle Luke, there, come back, come back. And, and uh, we went to this party and, and he said, hey man, I'm having this party, you should come. I was like, okay, cool, I'm gonna come. And then it was New Year's Eve and I looked at the hotels and like the cheapest hotel I saw was like three grand a night. I said, homie, whew, we balling on the budget over here. I ain't gonna be able to do that. He said, oh man, don't worry about it. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, he's a billionaire. He owns some condos. Uh, Y'all can stay there. I said, you sure? He said, yeah. I said, hold up now. He know you. <laughs> he don't know us. Are you sure we can do that? He said, bro, it's cool. I said, all right. He said, I'm gonna have his assistant email you the code to get in before, the, before you get there. I said, all right, cool. I said, you sure? He know you. He don't know us. He said, it's fine, bro. Two weeks before the trip, he ain't emailed the information. Week before the trip, he still ain't emailed the information. A couple days before, I was like, homie, I done bought these flights. <laughs> I ain't trying to be on the street. Help me out. Send the code. We get on the flight. He still ain't sent the information. As soon as we land, beep, comes in. Here's the code. I said, all right, dope. We pull up to this place. Yo, have you ever been up <laughs> to an establishment and just saw the place <laughs> and said, ain't nobody going to believe I'm supposed to be up in here. Ain't nobody going to believe. I told Taylor, I said, you go first. You... <laughs> We got first. I'm, I'm gonna assess this situation just for a little bit because I didn't know people were living like this. This place was insane. We get in there, the elevator takes you all the way up to the room. You walk up in the room, it's glass everywhere in the room. Rick Ross is on a jet ski over there. It was insane. I'd never seen it in there. And I went, oh, I didn't have to pay a penny. And I enjoyed it, but I didn't sit down all the way on the couch. <laughs> it was tempting because I realized I don't own this. I don't own this. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm sweeping up stuff before I left, <laughs> folding stuff back because it's not mine. I'm a steward. When you know it's not yours, there's something on the inside of you that ought to make you want to steward it better because I'm not the owner. I'm just the manager. So the owner, well, I got to hurry. It's a long story. The owner calls his masters, his servants rather, entrusted his goods to each one of them. And to one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and to another one he gave one. Now, when you hear talents, you think of what? Gifting and ability. In biblical days, a talent was a measure of weight. So think like gold. It was money. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, to another one. And I know if you're like me, as soon as you read it, you're like, mm, I smell injustice. Because <laughs> why <laughs> did one servant get five and another one got two and another one got one? This is not fair at all. But let's go deeper. It says that he gave each one of them a talent according to their ability. Ability. Ability must be assessed. I don't know your ability unless I watch you. You can't know somebody's ability if you're ignorant to who they are. 
ability must be assessed, which gives us blues clues within the story that the master had been watching them before he gave the talents. He was what? He says, servant number one, show up to work on time. Servant number two, show up to work on time. Look at this third servant. Every day is traffic. <laughs> Every day he lay. Look at this. He always got some. Look at, look at how he treats people in the break room. I'm trying to help some of y'all that are, got these big dreams for God to do more, but you're not faithfully stored in what you got now. You want to be an entrepreneur and you late to the place you work? You want to be large and in charge of being a CEO and you can't be a good employee? You want a nice six-bedroom house and you can't clean your apartment? <laughs> you want a new car and the one you got now ain't clean? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what is your expectation because the master assessed ability. And he said, you can handle five, you can handle two, you can handle one. He gave it according to their ability. I want to help somebody in here today. Stop being jealous of other people that have things you don't have. There's got to be a reason you don't have it. I am convinced if I don't have it, that means God knew I couldn't handle it. This is the prayer I'm praying. God, don't give me any more than I can handle. Don't give me any little than I can handle. Give me exactly what I can handle. He knew their ability. One got five, one got two, one got one. Oh, can I take you deeper? I did my due diligence and found out that one talent alone, equivalent today, would be $1.4 million. Homeboy still got $1.4 million. This is a good master. The fact that he gave all of his servants something speaks to his goodness. You want to talk about God's generosity? This is what I don't understand about God and his generosity. He gives gifts, talents to people, some of which will use those same gifts and talents to blaspheme him. If I was God and I'm giving out the gifts and the talents, I ain't giving you a gift that you ain't going to give me glory with it. Oh, if I'm God I, and you, you ain't going to sing and give me glory, you would never hit a good note in your life. I would take away the athletic ability the moment you got on camera and didn't say, I want to give God the praise. The moment you got on the camera and said, you know, that was all me. I'm telling you, you would shrink to about two foot three. <laughs> but look at the goodness of God. He just says, take it. Take the ability. And some people blaspheme his name with the very gift that he gave them. He says, you get five, you get two, you get one, each according to their ability. I love it because... Everybody got something. First thing you got to know is what? You own. The second thing I want you to get today is you got something. There's something God has given you. Something. You know why people clap like that? Because most people don't really believe they have something. I'm telling you. Have you ever thought your personality is a gift? Your smile is a gift. Oh, I wish somebody would just have a ministry of smiling. I know, for, what do you do for Jesus? <laughs> I think churches would grow if people would just do that. The average child smiles 400 times a day. The average adult, 20. Somewhere between childhood and adulthood, we lose 380 smiles. Statistics say you can burn calories while you're smiling. You're more attractive when you smile. Some of y'all need to practice right now. <laughs> smile. That's your gift, your brain, your ability to see the mess and the chaos, all that. Do you realize what God has given? Somebody say, I got something. No, say it like you believe. Say, I got something. No, say it with your chest. Say, I got something. Yeah, yeah. It's a good series to be in. It's a good series to be in. I'm going to really miss y'all. I need everybody because you got something. Everybody, who? I want you to check underneath your seat. Check underneath your seat real quick. Everybody check underneath. If something's underneath your seat, I need you to stand up. Everybody check underneath your seat real quick. Everybody real quick. Check underneath your seat real quick. If something's underneath your seat, I need you to stand up. Oh, you got something? If you got something, come up. If you ain't got nothing, don't hate and give God praise. <laughs> Anybody else? If something underneath, check underneath your seat. Underneath your seat. Check underneath it. Come up on stage. Come up on stage real quick. You mind? Yeah, yeah, just roll up here. See? 
Guess who allowed you to do that? In purple Timberlands. Only God could do that. Just stand right here. Oh, you got something too? You, well, ma'am, I want to let you take the steps. I want to take you, let you take the steps. Because I don't want no lawsuits. You look like you could do it. You, you stay right here. Give God some praise while she comes real quick. Somebody say, I got something. Come on, say it like you believe it. Say, I got something. You don't own anything, but you got something. How are you? Can you just stand right here? What's your name? Fisayo. Fisayo. What's your name? Ace. Ace. Okay. You got something. Y'all got something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what my favorite thing was? Well, I got something. It's my illustration. Oh, I got something too. You know what my favorite thing was to watch all of y'all? Looking up under your seat. <laughs> oh, I love watching it. Because I've learned that's what you have to do with life. This is why God hides potential, because there's something in the seeking. I'm trying to help some of y'all who think God is going to show up on DoorDash to show you what your purpose is. Sometimes you got to look up under it. Sometimes you got to apply for the job, take the job and say, oh, this ain't it. Let me try something else. It's something about the searching. It's something about the scraping because God hides potential. So I love that. Another thing I love is that y'all, you don't know it, but in this envelope is something very valuable. And you were sitting on something valuable the whole time. And you didn't even know it. You know how many people sit on their value and have no idea what God has put in them and will die without knowing it? I heard somebody say that hell is dying. And the person that you became meets the person that you could have become. People who sit on their value to one he gave five, to another two, to another one. Would you uh, open up and up your envelope real quick? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just go on, and, go on and count that real quick. How much? Thousand dollars. You were sitting on a thousand dollars. People say the church wants your money. He just got a thousand dollars in church. We're gonna need it back after service. We're gonna need it back after service. SDHQ. No, I'm playing. Can you open up yours? Can you open up yours? Y'all got the Home Depot good tape. Yeah, okay. Can you count yours? Yeah. A hundred dollars. She got a hundred. My illustration. See what I'm working with. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten dollars. Come on, $10. 10 is not no clap, okay. It's, it's something, it's something, it's lunch. No, I, I want you to see something. I wish, I wish everything in me wishes that the master would have given the five talent person his talent in a private office and then called in the two talent person and given her her two talents and then the third one talent person give him his. I wish it would have been done in secrecy. I wish it would have been direct deposit. But that's not what happened. They got their talent in the presence of other people. Ladies and gentlemen, this right here is the challenge of life. The question of life is not do you have anything, oh you got something. The question is are you going to discredit the value of what you have because you're comparing it to what somebody else got. Do you know how many people 
are doing the most dangerous look in life. Let me see your money. How, how much? What? Let me. This is you scrolling on other people's pages. Zoom on the pit. What? what kind of business? I, yep. <sighs> Notification. What you post? Hold on. Man. $10. That's all I got. Oh, 10 The quickest way to devalue what you have is to keep comparing it to what somebody else has. Bible says the one that got five went off and went back to his seat and worked it. <laughs> the one who got two went back to her seat and she worked her gift. But the dude who got one buried his in the ground. You know why he buried it? Because he wasn't grateful for it. Which, by the way, gratitude is the genesis of generosity. You will never be generous until you are grateful for what you do have. And he buried it because he didn't deem it valuable. You know how valuable $10 is? I can buy like nine things at the dollar store with this. That tax. Maybe buy eight. Yeah, tax. Oh, oh. I'm glad you said tax. Yeah. So you help me preach. Tax. That's interesting because I don't think I have 10. Because this was given to me. I own nothing. And biblically, God has a requirement. So actually, I got nine. Where my people at? <laughs> yeah, you didn't get a thousand. Come back. <laughs> and you didn't get a hundred. You got nine. Yeah. Appreciate it. What was that? I got, I got bad news. What's that? I'm sorry, but I already gave a hundred away. See, that's great. I'm glad, but go get it back. No, I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how. Watch this. Oh, and it gave it to our queen, Riley. Watch this. Watch this. But I already got it back. But you already got it back. Yes. Oh, perfect. Oh, Riley, you keep it. Riley, you keep it. That's yours, Riley. <laughs> so you just get, no, I don't want all of it. I just want, just, just one. Yeah. And here's why. It's because of potential. Now it's a free country. You could have stayed at your seat and had it. You could have kept it. But for the purpose of the illustration, I demand it. Because <laughs> I want to teach you a biblical principle that is found in the Old Testament and the New Testament called the tithe. The tithe. Tithe. Can you put that word up there? That would have been a great place to put it. Yeah. Tithe. By the way, let me fix it. It's not the tithe. I heard some people saying, Pastor, I got my tithe. I'm like, keep your detergent. It's, it's, it's tithe. And tithe, just for those of you who wondered, it's, it's a Hebrew word, mahaser, that just means a tenth. A tenth of what? A tenth of anything that God has blessed you with. See, God has given you so many things, talents and abilities. It's hard to know what percentage of that, but when it comes to money, he actually puts a number on it. If you want to see it get to it, Potential. Can you put potential? It was in there the first time they put it up. It was just. And so many people can never see the full potential of what their money will do. Because I can't get that 10%. I can't. I got it. But the one that buried it ended up losing it anyway. Anytime you see 10 in the Bible, 
It is a number of testing. Oh, y'all can be seated. You ain't getting your money back. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> Give them a hand. Come on. Ten is a number of testing. How many commandments were there? Ten. When Pharaoh hardened his heart and didn't want to let God's people go, how many plagues were there? Ten. Ten, Ten is always a number of testing. God says, test me in this. In Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Let me tell you something. Tithing is a principle I've been living by before I ever pastored a church my entire life and I stand here as a testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God because God just wants to know can he trust you with what he's put in your hands tithing is a test of trust you see it in Genesis with Abraham I can give you so many scriptures but let's fast forward because I see somebody in the back saying well that's uh, that's the law that's Old Testament preacher I'm under grace So I don't really have to tithe. Okay. But what you gonna do with Matthew 23, verse 23, this is Jesus talking. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even to the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Anytime God mentions something in the New Testament that was in the Old, it is a continuation. And Jesus is saying, still tithe, but don't forget about mercy and justice as well. But tithe is always the minimum because it's a test of trust. I love that Matthew wrote it. That's verse 23. It's verse 23 for me. 23, 23. And you know Matthew is all about his numbers. And I just find it funny that that verse, where Jesus talks about tithing, is verse 23 of chapter 23. And you know that 2 plus 3 plus 2 plus 3. And, you go, and that's just the way my mind works. 10 is a test. God just wants to know, can I trust you? He couldn't trust that last servant. And the servant, I think he buried it because he wasn't grateful. I think he buried it because he compared what he had to somebody else. And he buried, can you see him? With an attitude. Burying money. The indictment is at the end of the parable. You can at least put it in the bank. Why are you putting money in the ground? Burying it, exerting energy, all that money that you, all that energy you're doing, burying, you could have been working and multiplying your gift. How many know when you're not faithful with the resources God has given you, you'll be on the hamster wheel, always trying to get more, and it'll never be enough, and that's why you'll be exhausted and tired because God's waiting for you to trust. Tithe is about the test of trust. I so believe in this. Who well, I don't know if no preacher's ever said this. I want to challenge somebody. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, Test me in this. I want to challenge somebody to test God in the tithe. And he says, bring it into the storehouse, the church. I want somebody to do it. Just do any church. For the rest of this year, faithfully tithe. Any church. Any church. I think you should do it to this church, especially if this church blesses you. <laughs> but I want to challenge somebody. Just pick some storehouse and say, I'm going to consistently and faithfully tithe because it's a test to say, God, I trust you. I trust that you can do more with the 90 than I could with the 100. Trust him. He buried it. I think he buried it because he didn't think the master was ever going to come back to check and give an account, which gives you my last point. You own. You got. And Jesus is everything, but he's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Worship team, join me. He's coming. How many know there is a day where the master is coming and he will settle accounts? You will have to give an explanation, not just for what you did with your money, but what you did with your life. A day is coming.
I don't think he thought the master was going to come. But the master came. And he says something that lets you know his heart towards the master. He said, look, I, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. In other words, if I have a misperception of who God is, I'll never be generous. He thought that the master was a hard man demanding too much. How many of you know, if you think God is stingy, you will live your life stingy. But if you believe that God is generous, that God has multiple ways to give blessing to you, you don't have any problems letting anything go. Because you know, he has abundance. He also says, I was afraid. I want to speak to some of you who are so afraid to trust God, especially with your finances. And God says, his perfect love cast out all fear. Trust him, even with your finances. I'll tell you the journey Taylor and I have been on. And I, I always pray about whether I should share stuff like this. When it comes to tithe and trusting God with money, I have to admit I had the home court advantage. I had incredible parents from the time I was young taught me about tithe and offering. My Nigerian daddy would give me my offering every single time I go to kids' church. Before I walk in, give me my offering. Son, put this in the offering. I'll never forget that. I took that money and got some Reese's Pieces and he found out about it. Reese's Pieces and you didn't put it in the offering? You stole from God. I said, you gave it to me. It's the same thing. So it's just a principle I've lived by for years. But when it comes to giving, God always wants you to grow in your generosity. Remember, he indicted the Pharisees. They were good at the time, but they were missing out on other things. Our generosity should grow. Matter of fact, you want to do some next level stuff? Don't have a goal about how much money you're going to make. Have a goal about how much money you'll give away. And watch how God will start blessing you. So for years I've tithed, for years, before I had a church, you can call, check the records. <laughs> and I took some pride in it. In 2022, I was praying and God started speaking to me. He said, you, you feel real comfortable about your tithe? I said, absolutely. Perfect attendance, Lord. Holla at you, boy. He said, and this is how I just get whispers. And I'm praying in this series, somebody will lean into the whispers. He goes, would you trust me to do more? I said, how much more? He said, well, it's 2022. This is how clear it came in my spirit. He said, it's 2022. What about 22? I said, 22 percent. I said, no, the devil is a liar. I can't do that. I literally said, this is how he walked me into this. I said, God, 22, 22, that would be a, whoo. I said, God, that would be a stretch. And I said, oh, no, you did it. Because <laughs> you remember last year was our year to church out. So we did it. And by the grace of God and saw the blessing of God like I have never seen. Didn't lack for anything in 2022. Came into this new year. I, all I know how to do is keep it 100. I said, well, shoot, we did 22 last year. I was like, we can go back to 10 and then take the 12 and invest it. This is the conversation me and Pastor Taylor having and leave it to Pastor Taylor. She's like, babe, I know we can't go backwards. We have to grow. I said, what you thinking? She said, what about 25%? I said, girl, what is wrong with you? She said, we're going to go deeper. We're going to trust God. Again, the blessing and the favor of God. In this series, I feel like God has been speaking to me more, saying, God, how I don't want to be led by the spirit of mammon. So many of us think we own our things, but our things own us. And the way you know is when you're asked to let it go. And so I was praying about this message Tuesday and just thinking about Jordan. These are the first pair of Jordans. One of the first pair of Jordans my dad got me. I got these when I was 16 years old. Your boy is now one of these new sneakerheads. I've been collecting J's for 11 years. And just in my spirit on Tuesday, I feel like God was speaking to me. He said, what are those J's doing for you in your closet? You just preached about storing up treasures in heaven and not on earth. He said, you got Jordans that are collecting dust in your closet. What are they doing for you? 
I said, what do you want me to do? He said, would you give them? I said, how many? <laughs> All of them. And as clear as day, felt like God told me to do that. And so I called Frank, our creative director, immediately. <laughs> I said, man, God just told me to give away every single pair of Air Jordans I've been collecting for 11 years. And I'm telling you, so I came back out of this. <laughs> They've been up here the whole time I've been on stage, hidden, because potential is always hidden. Just for context, your boy has so many J's. <laughs> this is the second service, and we did this in first. I think they got some B-roll of me boxing up all the Jordans. And we've been on a hunt. And, and let me say this, only do what you hear God telling you to do. But know that when he speaks to you to do something, sometimes, let me say this, Almost every time you hear this one, this is crazy. Don't you do that. What's wrong with you? You can sell them and sew it, Robert. Don't do that. What, what, the movie about to come out about the Jordan. Don't the value go. All them voices still in my head right now. <laughs> but if I can't let it go, I don't own it. It owns me. So I'm going to ask all my dudes to come up. We've been scouring all the dudes that were talked to before. I want y'all to come up. We've been scouring, trying to find some guys. They didn't know what they were going to be used for. Come up here real quick. Y'all stand right here. Yeah. Y'all stand up all right here. Come on, somebody give God praise for all these mighty social men. Y'all could do better than that. We got some awesome social men. Fellas, can y'all look at me real quick? I, uh, I'm in a season of life where, just real soft, I'm in a season of life where I would rather have stories than stuff. It's just where I'm at. And so in a minute, I'm gonna have y'all come on stage and pick out any pair that you want, but this is the only thing that I ask. The Bible says in Isaiah 57, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Actually, it says, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who carry the good news, the gospel. The reason it says that is because back in the day in war times, whenever the battle was won and the people in the village, the women and the children who were waiting for these warriors to come back, they wanted to know before the men came back, was the victory won? Did they win the battle? So they would send somebody running to tell whether they had the victory or whether they got defeat. And the people watching for the runner would stand at a mountain and they learned that if they were running fast, they got the victory. And if they were running slow, they probably lost. So thus came the saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. So you're about to get a free pair of J's. Please don't wear them around me. <laughs> I'm playing. But here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask, pick out whatever you want. I'm going to ask that every time you wear those Jordans, you would tell somebody the power of what God has done in your life. Every time you put those Jordans on your feet, share with somebody, an Uber driver, a friend, the one you've been trying to invite, just tell them, tell them what he's done in your life. You ain't got to tell them how many scriptures you know, but just tell them the power of your story, of what he's done. Tell them about this service. Tell them about what he did in this moment. That's the only thing I ask, is that you will tell the story of what God has done in your life. So I'm going to let y'all come up on stage. I'm going to let you pick out whatever you want. He's going to lead y'all this way. My man jumped up. My man jumped. And once you get it, just, just stand there. 
just grab it. And once you got it, just stand there. I hope you're at least size 12 or at least 11 and a half. If not, we can roll up some socks. Anybody not get some? If you didn't get some, stand right here. We might be out. Y'all didn't get any? Y'all didn't get any? Did we mess up on the count? Did we mess up on the count? I'm what? I'm what? I'm so glad you said it before I did. I'm sitting on some stuff. See, God always wants you to graduate in generosity. Potential is always hidden. And I just had to put this in here for somebody that's struggling with trusting God. God said, if you'll just do it. He said, if you'll just do it, I'll open up the windows of heaven. And pour out a blessing you won't have room enough to receive. Just to, just, I'm a living witness. You know why I got no problem letting this go? Because I don't know how God's going to return it to me. If you just do it and trust him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Just do it. Y'all can get it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yes, sir. Conley, I love you, sir. Omar, let's go. Just stand right here. Just everybody stay. Last one. Is there... A high school student in here, you in high school and you a size 12. In high school, anybody? You a size 12? You size 12? What grade you in? You a senior this year. Come on, man. What's your name? Huh? Stevon. Senior this year. Size 12 and got some J's on your feet. So glad you're here, because I had to save the best for a life. Don't forget the charge. The charge is every time you put on these Jordans, you will tell the story of what God has done in your life. When you step on your college campus, because you're going to graduate, you're going to go to college, when you step on that campus or wherever God's going to take you, know that God's not called you to fit in. He's called you to stand out. He's called you to be a light in the midst of the darkness. There is things on the inside of you that you haven't even seen yet. I had no clue when I was in high school that I would ever pastor a church like this. You don't have a clue what God will do in you and what God will do through you. Hidden potential on the inside of you. Wear these. I would rather have the story of your life impacting somebody else than to have stuff. Can I pray over you? Father, would you stretch your hands towards him? Father, I thank you. Lord, that this is a destiny moment. Oh, God, Lord, I thank you. Lord, that there is no generational curse. God, there is no stronghold that is too strong for him to step into all that you have for him, God. Lord, I pray that this day would mark him forever. God, in the same way that David, who was a shepherd boy, and nobody knew, God, the king that was on the inside of him, God. Lord, I pray this would be that moment, God, where your anointing, God, your calling, God, would flow over his life because you have marked him for such a time as this. 
God, let your hand of protection be over him. God, I pray that he would never function out of fear, but his faith would stay strong. Oh God, let him walk around and understand the value, the great deposit that you have put on the inside of him. Lord, I thank you, God, for the lives that will be touched and changed through him, through him, as he gives all that he is to you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, somebody give God some praise today. Somebody help me thank God for all these mighty men. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Father, thank you for hidden potential. Thank you that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither has it entered to the heart of man the things you have placed on the inside of us. God, don't let us die wishing that we could have done more. Lord, today, even as a church, God, we receive we receive the boldness and the courage to do whatever it takes to maximize our potential. Oh God, don't let us operate out of fear. I pray for the person that fear is stopping them from writing the book. Fear is stopping them from going back to school. Fear is stopping them from starting the business. God, thank you that your perfect love cast out all fear. God, we give all that we are to you. God, not just our lives, Lord, but even our resources. Help us to trust you. Lord, I pray for the person who's so scared. They're so scared to even trust you with their finances. They feel like what they have is already not enough, but I thank you as they put you to the test, they will stand as a testimony of your faithfulness. Do it today in Jesus' name.